100.3 FM, KLRZ, La Rose, New Orleans, and the River Region. It's the Sports Hangover with Gus Kattengill. Hello, sports fans. Well, hello there. Local sports, national sports. The GCAT has got you covered. Oh, you made a wise choice, my friend. Time to tee it up and let it fly. It's the Sports Hangover with Gus Kattengill. Surprise, y'all. It's Maddie Hudak back here with another Hudak takeover on the Sports Hangover on the Pelicans flagship station, ESPN 100.3 FM. Some of you might know me on Twitter at MaddieHudak underscore 94, uh, where you can find me attempting to analyze the now 5-3 and three New Orleans Saints for USA's Today's Saints Wire. Uh, but you can also catch me on the weekends on 104.1 The Spot on the radio as a sideline reporter for Tulane Football, which is also where uh, Gus Cattengale happens to be right now as he's calling the uh, opening game for Tulane women's basketball. We have a lineup of coaches as usual on our, our Tuesday show. We'll have NOLA.com Saints beat writer Amy Just join me at 12.15 uh, to kind of help break down Sunday's Saints loss and looking forward to this weekend's matchup against the tight ends. And I'll give you the rest of the guest list coming up in a bit. Uh, but let's just get things started and, you know, let's just open the can of worms right here with that game uh, and the Saints loss on Sunday. Um, it was one of those games where, you know, it really made me miss Drew Brees uh, and the intangibles and, and what he brought to this team, uh, even, you know, to the bitter end. Uh, and that 27 to 25 loss, it really became apparent that, you know, the search for an identity on this team's offense really isn't getting anywhere um, and, and really at no fault of, of the role at quarterback. Um, the defense, you know, we could start with the defensive side of things as well. You know, if, if defense was a 30-minute sport, uh, all things considered, the Saints defense held up against the Falcons initially, uh, even though they seemed to kind of be drawing a lot from things that kind of, you know, worked for the Buccaneers uh, when they played against the Saints. Um, it, it, you know, was one of those games that kind of looked like a classic NFC South matchup in terms of chaos and, and nonsense, and that's kind of exactly what it turned out to be. Uh, but, you know, right before the touchdown by Atlanta at the end of the half, uh, the defense had otherwise, you know, held Atlanta to three points. Uh, it was that injury to C.J. Gardner-Johnson that kind of particularly stuck out to me um, and really kind of made, you know, perhaps this game plan go different than you might have thought. Uh, and the kryptonite is apparent for this defense, and it's been apparent in the games against Green Bay last year, the Las Vegas Raiders last year, both those losses, both led by Drew Brees, and both largely by this exact same defense. Uh, those explosive plays for 20 yards or more, uh, letting teams convert on third down in red zone, uh, giving away costly penalties, and allowing a player with over 100 receiving yards. That was Christian McCaffrey, you know, in, in the week two loss with Carolina this year. And those explosive plays have plagued this team in, in several games already thus far. It just depends on whether or not that actually matters by the end of the game. Uh, we saw last week against Tampa Bay that they did give up those explosive plays quite a bit, in fact. Uh, and it really didn't seem to matter because the offense was able to, you know, hold it down on their end when it counted. And the defense was able to force a turnover at the end of that game. But that's really error-free football that you're looking at there when it's kind of coming down to a, a defense that has shown ability to be elite, but ultimately still, you know, susceptible to giving up those large gains. Um, and that really in the past has seemed to kind of make them break down a bit, start to become confused and kind of lose their way. Uh, but I feel like in the ter in terms of mentality, that's very much so improved uh, from last year to this this year. That all being said, 
you know, some of those metrics were still present in this loss. Uh, Atlanta was three of five in the red zone and three of three in goal to go situations, which, you know, previously this run defense and especially the goal line defense for the Saints had been really, really staunch. Uh, they had seven explosive plays for more than 20 yards and quarter, uh, I'm always going to botch his name. Uh, Corderell Patterson, uh, had his first 100 yard game of this season. But when you look at third downs, they were only 5 of 13. And, you know, the typically penalty-ridden losses uh, in terms of defense, they only awarded two first downs by penalty. The team was guilty of 10 total penalties for 74 yards. Uh, but the remaining eight were all on the offense, which I'll get to in a bit. Um, and four of those explosive plays happened in the first half. Uh, two of them were involved in the touchdown drive. But with four of those plays and only 10 points to show for it in the first half, the defense has at least shown precedent in this season to bounce back from these matchups and handle those types of big gains and patiently recover. And I feel like the bounce back from this loss shouldn't be any different, um, you know, unless that injury to Gardner Johnson ends up being more significant than once thought. You know, I unfortunately don't have access to all 22 of this game. Uh, and I feel like the position of safety is kind of the most hamstringed by the broadcast view of the game. Like, when there's a big gain by a receiver and a breakdown in coverage, of course you see the safeties, you know, out of position or, or you know, mistackling or breaking down in coverage. But what you don't see on the broadcast a lot of the time is when those quarterbacks are hesitating to throw in the pocket, they're really staring at those safeties that are ahead of them. We're all just really paying attention to the person that has the football. So I, I can't entirely say, you know, one way or the other, which safety, who exactly was to blame in that aspect, you know, without that that bird's eye view. But something did kind of stick out to me in terms of, you know, a trend that I've just kind of been following this season, the usage of players, um, you know, the employment of these rookie defensive players who really, in my opinion, have outperformed expectations, all things considered. Uh, you know, Peyton Turner, perhaps it, it, the jury may still be out because he's kind of Unfortunately, following a very similar uh, trajectory to Marcus Davenport in terms of uh, injuries uh, and very, you know, coincidentally uh, elbow injuries at that. But, you know, the difference to me there is the draft capital that wasn't given up to get Turner. Uh, in the meantime, you know, yes, Balson Adebo did give up that that huge, you know, 64-yard completion at the end of that football game. Um, that was essentially the proverbial nail in the coffin. But... He's still, to me, you know, a third-round rookie. He actually has the fourth-highest team snaps. Uh, and, and, yes, he's gotten beaten a couple of games, but I saw a lot of, you know, calls to kind of bench a Debo and, and put Bradley Roby out there. But what I saw from Roby last week was kind of getting used to the system as well and some penalties, including one of the two defensive penalties in this football game. Uh, but what stuck out to me the most on defense was the particular usage of one linebacker versus another, and that was Quan Alexander uh, versus Pete Werner. And I'm not here to single out Quan Alexander because a lot of these situations, he was double teaming with either a safety or a cornerback and neither of them were on their mark. But it was noteworthy to me that Quan Alexander had his, you know, season high in snaps uh, with 25 total in coverage and that, you know, total snap count was 46 uh, through that day. And on the same end, while Pete Werner had a season high of 82 a few weeks ago and has been averaging about 30 to 40 snaps each game, he played just 12 snaps against Atlanta. And that's pretty hard for me to ignore, especially when you look at how Alexander graded in coverage uh, and pro football focus with a 29.4 grade. That's his lowest since joining the team last season. The idea with Alexander was always to bring him in kind of as that complement to uh, Davis and a considerable upgrade over Alex uh, Anzalone uh, and he, all intents and purposes, is. 
But at what point is he kind of taking the place of a player that's had really great tracking and diagnostic abilities in a way that I haven't seen from a rookie linebacker, especially on the Saints in a long time. If you just watch Werner's eyes every time the ball is snapped, he does not get distracted. He does not lose track of his assignments. He is always tracking the ball. He's quick to diagnose the run, and he's quick to attack. And one thing that stuck out to me in particular where there were two opportunities where Alexander kind of had an open lane in order to uh, get to Matt Ryan, and he was lined up as a blitzer in that aspect. So that was kind of his role. And he almost kind of sat there and allowing that allowed a touchdown. Pete Werner was kind of guilty of the same thing uh, in a similar touchdown. The difference was he was in coverage. He kind of saw that he had an open lane and he tore through it and did exactly what you want a linebacker to do, which is get his hands up in the lane of the football and try to get something off of it. Uh, he's been a complete playmaker to me. And if you just kind of watch the way that he followed the ball in comparison to Alexander, uh, I'm curious to see whether or not that was a way to account for C.J. Gardner-Johnson's absence, putting him more in coverage situations, or how they attack that next week. But I do think that, all things considered, Pete Werner should uh, have a more prominent role at this point. But I'll get to the can of worms on offense that I'm sure, you know, everyone who has read my article has plenty of comments to say about it. And that's, you know... My commentary on the state of this offense um, as it stands. You know, Jameis Winston took seven weeks, all things considered, to get acclimated into this offense with these receivers. Uh, and that wasn't his fault. I think it's very clear to everyone where the problem lies. And it's this receiving group, including the tight ends, that are just unable to quite literally, you know, catch a football. And I don't really know what else to say about that. Um, and Winston spent... An entire offseason, you know, flying people like Traquan Smith out to, you know, California to train. He was in this two-pony quarterback competition, throwing with these receivers all of training camp, been getting first-team reps with them this entire season. And it, it took, really to me, until that Buccaneers quarter where I it heartbreakingly really felt like Jameis Winston had officially turned a corner, uh, at least in terms of, you know, my own personal subjective evaluation of him at quarterback. I felt like he just turned that corner and, and then his season was cut short by a former teammate in one of the most tragic fashions I've seen in a long time. Uh, but we're kind of asking Trevor Simeon essentially to step into that role in, you know, week nine of the NFL season with a team that has a, a playoff caliber defense uh, and, and not just immediately be up to Jameis Winston's speed, uh, but there's no longer that promise of Michael Thomas in the future. And I think the psychological aspect of that is hard to ignore. And it's not just the quarterback. I think that's on the receivers as well. There's something to be said about, you know, putting a Band-Aid on a damn stop and being able to kind of just roll with things until you know that things are going to get better in the future. And that was how I kind of felt like the Saints team had forged this identity uh, throughout the beginning of the season was, let's just win ugly. And then when we get our chips back, and all of our full tools at our disposal, things are going to look entirely different with Jameis Winston at quarterback. All of those things kind of blew up in a singular week. And to me, it, the receivers, that that mental note that Michael Thomas isn't returning, that it's just you, that you're not going to have someone to help you out. Uh, and, and defenses now are entirely aware of that and can prepare for that starting now, you know, throughout the season. So, Simeon's in a worse spot than Winston was to begin with. He has no time to kind of catch up to that. And to say that Simeon, you know, is more talented than Jameis Winston, to me at this point, is saying that Simeon is the next coming of Drew Brees and in his prime at that. Because I'm not blaming Trevor Simeon for this weekend's loss at all. Not even a little bit. I don't, I'm 
Me saying that there's a possibility where Taysom could win football games doesn't necessarily mean that Taysom would have won that football game. Because at the end of the day, if the receivers aren't going to do their job, then there's quite, frankly, nothing a quarterback can do. But Winston was very sneakily mobile to me, and that made a lot of a difference. And I think a lot of scores would read quite differently if you kind of look at the amount of third and fourth down conversions Jameis Winston has made with his legs alone. Uh, uh, Trevor Simeon simply doesn't have, you know, that skill in, in what we've seen thus far. And I just want you guys to go back and watch that series where Taysom Hill briefly came in. Watch how the D-line kind of doesn't even rush the quarterback in somewhat anticipation of him taking off. And watch how the linebackers and safeties almost panic for a second and kind of just hang out in the middle of the field and essentially lost every single one of their assignments. And to me, it wasn't a coincidence that those receivers were wide open as a result of that. And you can't really say it's a fluke either because the Falcons have an entire game of personal tape of Taysom Hill beating them. So I I do think that there is somewhat of an argument to be said with the way that defenses respond to Hill and the fact that we saw Trevor Simeon have instantaneous connection with Garrett Griffin and Kevin White last week, and that was awesome, but that is not going to win a Super Bowl. And those are the guys that he's been practicing with all season. It's not coincidental to me that Taysom Hill came in and immediately connected with Traquan Smith and Deontay Harris, who at this point are wide receivers one and wide receivers two this season, cold off the bench the way that Simeon did last week because he spent time with them. He's actually spent time as a receiver. He spent time in that huddle with Drew Brees, even when he's not playing quarterback. So I do think there's a level of familiarity there that at least is is worth the topic of conversation. Um, I'm not saying Taysom Hill is, you know, quarterback one of the future, that he's quarterback one material, but I don't think we know that about Trevor Simeon at this point either. It would be one thing if there were three games left in the season, but we're about at the midway point. And to say that, you know, a shakeup at this point would be too much to handle, uh, then, then that's kind of saying that something is going to suddenly change in what we saw on Sunday, which... Either is is Simeon, you know, rising to levels that I'm not even sure he's capable of doing as a quarterback that doesn't have a mobile aspect to him. Or sometimes, to me, it's better to have an additional running back in there, if that's all you can call Taysom Hill at all, rather than a quarterback who can't get anything done under center. Um, we'll get into that more with Amy Just again at 1215. Um, and our, our lineup today is primarily coaches. Uh, Gus is over at Tulane, like I said, calling the women's basketball opener. But he talked this week with Rage and Cajun's coach, Billy, not, uh, my gosh, Napier, uh, on UL's 8-1 season. And that'll be coming up at 1245. Uh, head coach Tim Rebo of Nickel State University football is going to join us at 115 to break down their 24 to 14 and third consecutive win of the season over McNeese. Uh, and then a guest I'm quite familiar with is up at 130, head coach Billy Fritz of Tulane Greenway football. We'll break down Tulane's 14 to 10 loss to UCF over the weekend and talk about this homecoming weekend this Saturday where we're going to be hosting Tulsa at Yeoman Stadium. Uh, Frank Selfo, head coach of the Southeastern Louisiana Lions is on at 145 to break down their shoot off against the Cardinals that unfortunately spelled a loss, but an in-game quarterback switch showed some promise, uh, with him posting 647 passing yards. Former LSU Tiger and LSU Game Day Live analyst on C. ST Eric Alexander is going to join me at 2.15 to break down LSU's loss to Alabama and their upcoming battle of the boot against Arkansas. Uh, but at 12.15, one of my good friends, Todd Graffinini, uh, voice of the Pelicans, is going to come in and join me. I've been a little, uh, had a little bit of a sinus infection this week, so uh, if my voice gives out by then, he'll be here. He'll be available for any Pelicans questions y'all might have after their 108-92 loss to the Dallas Mavericks. 
Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back again, it'll be Amy Just to talk Saints. Uh, this is ESPN New Orleans Sports Hangover on the Pelicans flagship uh, New Orleans 100.3 FM. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming soon to Louisiana, and it won't be long until you can bet on all of your favorite sports from the comforts of your own home. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. No deposit required. DraftKings is bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code LaRose when you sign up. Those who sign up right now will get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Louisiana. That's code LaRose to get $100 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-70-STOP. 21 and over. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Offshore workers are among the most important members of the Gulf Coast workforce. When a person working offshore or on a vessel is injured, the effects on their family can be devastating. At the King Firm, we are proud to have experience with these types of cases and make it a priority to see that our clients receive just compensation and are treated fairly. If you've been injured, don't play the game of claims with the insurance companies. Ring the King at 504-909-KING or 888-241-8766. Time is money. Don't waste both running around looking for filters, batteries, and belt sand-related items. Fleet Supply Warehouse delivers. Fleet Supply offers daily scheduled delivery, including Bayou Lafouche, New Orleans, Morgan City, New Iberia, Lafayette, Thibodeau, Baton Rouge, the North Shore, plus the River Parishes, too. Automotive, lawn equipment, agricultural, marine, or industrial. Fleet Supply Warehouse. 985-868-0430. Venture Boulevard, Homa. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Only one performance a day. Well, let's get this show on the road, eh? Now back to The Sports Hangover with Gus Kattengau. Welcome back to The Sports Hangover on the Pelicans flagship, ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. As usual, it's, uh well, not as usual, but I'm just going to say that at this point. It is a Hudak takeover. It's Maddie Hudak here at Maddie Hudak underscore 94, filling in for Gus while he calls some Tulane women's hoops. Uh, we have our first... uh Guest up right now, uh, NOLA.com reporter Amy Just at uh, Amy underscore Just on Twitter. Uh, how are you, Amy? I am good. Uh, apologies for the whisk noises in the background. I am making a roux, and obviously, as everyone knows, I cannot just, like, step away uh, from that. So wow, we're going to talk Saints and make gumbo at the same time. Happy Tuesday. That that's one multitask. Um, as, as someone that is is too afraid uh, to even touch a roux with the uh, lack of uh, touch that I have uh, whatsoever in cooking. Uh, but uh, to go over to the Saints, um, I was just kind of breaking down. Uh, you know what I kind of saw on both sides of the ball, uh, and looking at you know your your uh, typical article that kind of breaks down the snap counts and usage of players. Looks like you kind of saw a couple of the same things I did. Uh, what were some of those key uh, changes that you saw in terms of usage uh, in Atlanta and how that kind of, you know, perhaps helped or or made things worse for the Saints this weekend? 
Yeah, so one of the things that I've been watching is how the Saints work, both Pete Werner and Quan Alexander in linebacker. Um, and as expected, Pete Werner's snap counts continue to go down while Quan's continue to rise. Um, I talked with their linebackers coach several weeks ago, right after Quan was designated to come back, and I'm like, how do you find a balance? He's like, if I had the answer to that, I'd be getting a lot more sleep. So that's something that they've been tinkering with and I would presume continue to tinker with as, you know, things progress and, of course, as the scouting report dictates. Right. That's a, kind of exactly, quite frankly, what I noticed as well in, in kind of rewatching that game. Um, I couldn't exactly tell, you know, because I know Quan Alexander is kind of touted as a coverage linebacker, uh, but he, he kind of seemed to be out of, out of, you know, not so much out of position, but looked a little lost at times in those coverage situations. Um, and I couldn't really tell if that was perhaps something to account for the CJ Garner Johnson injury. Uh, or, or how did you kind of interpret that usage of him, you know, so deep in coverage at times? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Atlanta did a really good job game planning for this. Absolutely. Uh, Dennis, Dennis Allen's defenses are, you know, incredible. There's a lot of moving pieces. But when you don't have T.J. Gardner-Johnson in there, who admittedly has had his issues in coverage as well sometimes over the season, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of just Atlanta's game plan and then having to adjust without C.J. Yeah, and then, you know, kind of just watching this game for a second time, uh, it really does stick out just kind of the inability to generate anything on offense. Not really at the fault of Trevor Simeon, a lot really by uh, – I believe it's a season high, uh, you know, seven offensive penalties. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and as you, you know, broke down, there were a lot of snap counts for receivers, uh, but, but not much to show for it, uh, if anything at all. Yeah. And that's been kind of the trend as of late. Most of the offense runs through Alvin. We all know that. Um, but yeah, those holding penalties at those, most of them over the course of this season, have negated small plays, but not all of them. Alvin had like a 44-yard run last week that got negated by a holding penalty, I believe, on Traquan. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure who it was on. Uh, I just have a Rue in front of me, not my computer. Um, but, yeah, I just, uh, you know, you go back, like Kenny Stills had a touchdown that got called back due to a holding penalty on somebody. Like, there have been several key plays over the course of the season that have been negated due to holding penalties. And as it looks right now, it's not getting better. And that's not a good thing, especially when this offense needs to fire on all cylinders and get the basics down. So the big plays that they do have aren't overturned due to stupid stuff. Yeah, that, that's really what stuck out to me about the penalties and kind of specifically, you know, the players that committed them. Um, you know, I noticed Eric McCoy's name get called quite a bit. Um, and, and the thought with him was kind of to come back and settle that offensive line, um, which I, I did think played, you know, better than they have considering, you know, what we've seen this season. Uh, but what did you think in terms of the offensive line uh, performance as a whole in terms of protecting uh, Simeon and, and kind of opening up those run lanes uh, for Kamara, Ingram, and, and Arma at one point? Yeah, those penalties on the Saints offensive line are super uncharacteristic. Like, it's just, I don't understand what's happening. Um, they haven't played together as a starting five unit much at all this season. Um, and that will continue probably for a significant period of time because we're not sure 
just when Indra's Pete will come back, if he will come back, that's a pretty serious injury he sustained. Um, but yeah, you, you've got to figure it out. You know, the one, you know, big gaffe that the offensive line had other than those penalties was Teron Armstead just totally missed his assignment on that strip sack on Trevor yeah. Simeon. That Trevor really can't do anything about that. It's on his blind side. Like, you know, sure, he could step up into the pocket, but the blind side's the blind side for a reason. You don't see it coming. So yeah. Teron took full full blame for that, and that's uncharacteristic for him. He doesn't do that type of stuff. Yeah, my rewatch, I, I was almost taken aback kind of at how quickly that guy bull rushed straight through Armstead, and, and Simeon didn't even have a moment to really even, you know, process catching the snap. Um and, and you make a good point that, you know, it really hasn't been a starting unit at all this season. As they seem to get some players back on that line, they lose other ones. Um, it's the same thing with this receiving group. Um, and just that overall chemistry on the offense that I felt like, you know, was taking about seven weeks to get there uh, with Jameis Winston under center. Uh, and to me, it's somewhat kind of back at square one with Simeon kind of trying to play catch up. And to me, there is also a psychological element of knowing that Michael Thomas isn't coming back that I almost wonder mm-hmm. how much that plays into the performance of these receivers uh, from a mental aspect. You would like to think that it, you know, they they block it out. But I mean, there was that hope, right? Up until last week. Well, okay, we're going to get Mike back. We're going to get Mike back. We're going to get Mike back. And now we're not. Um they say that they're not thinking about it. They miss him. They wish he'd be playing all that stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that holding out hope for him coming back was helping, you know, was helping them a little bit. You know, he'll be back. He'll be back. It'll be okay. Well, yeah, that's it's the mental thing that really, like I said, kind of stuck out to me. And, again, this uh, is Amy just at Amy underscore just on Twitter. Um, that That's really what I saw was just kind of, you know, this hope that, and it wasn't, you know, just that Thomas was coming back. It was to finally see, you know, the culmination of Winston's kind of arc mm-hmm. and his connection with Thomas. And now there's a different quarterback under center and there's no wide receiver one coming back and no one's really proven their ability to step up and be a reliable wide receiver one uh, moving forward this season. Uh So, you know, if, if it's you, how do you kind of look to approach the rest of this, this season, you know, from a quarterback perspective, from, you know, a, a packages perspective of Taysom Hill or, or, or whatnot, but what are your thoughts on kind of moving forward from this and using these chips to, to continue to win games? Number one, you try to get Odell. <laughs> yeah, that's... You try. You try. If he's claimed on waivers today, then there's nothing the Saints can do about that, right? Like, even right. if they had the, even if they had the money to do it, even if they did, they're 23rd in the waiver order. <laughs> like, you know, like that, it's not like great. at that point, he's cleared waivers essentially. Yeah, basically, right? But yeah, so if he clears, you've got to try. You have to try. You know, like this is home for Odell. Like this is the first time he's ever been a free agent if he clears waivers. Um, and so he'll kind of have his choice again if he clears waivers. Uh, the Saints need him, and uh, they need something, right? And it doesn't help at all that you know. Deontay Harris could be suspended at some point. Right. Yeah. You know, um, a story I wrote yesterday. His legal case is finally over, and so now that it's a it's done, it's in the NFL hands to see what they want to do there. So that's that's not good either. Even if even if they don't get Odell, it's 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 bad. If they do get Odell, it's still bad. 
not right. Great. Right. Yeah, that is a great point. And I would recommend that article as well. I believe he was sentenced to a year of probation. Um, and and mm-hmm. typically in this situation, there is, you know, precedent by the NFL about a two or perhaps, you know, three game suspension um, that I was frankly kind of surprised hadn't happened in the first place. Um, so, you know, attacking the Titans, they they're facing, you know, a tight a Derrick Henry list Titans for the second time now, which is somewhat, you know, incredible. Uh, not in a great way, but just, you know, the fact that from 2019 to now it's been the same thing. Um, you know, what, what, what stop gaps can you put on this offense to try to get a win, um, against Tennessee? Yeah, you've gotta, you've gotta limit the big plays. I mean, just because they don't have Derrick Henry doesn't mean that they're bad. I mean, last week, oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. <Good> point. <laughs> like, didn't need him. Still looks great. Um, but yeah, stopping those big plays and fixing the little stuff, like making sure that you're where you're supposed to be, knowing your assignments and no penalties, no stupid penalties. Um, obviously you can't control some of the things that officials call as we saw last night, uh, in the Monday night game, but make, you just, you can't do the stuff that you did last week and expect to win. You can't. And, uh, you know, not drop the ball either, I think would be a good first step as well. Yeah. And in a quite literal standpoint at that. Um, uh, all right. Well, that's, um, again, uh, Amy just, you can find her on Twitter at Amy underscore just, she writes about the saints on NOLA.com, uh, and is, um, equally freezing as me on the press box on Sundays. Uh, Amy, it was great to talk to you as always. Um, and, and hopefully a much better song this weekend uh, than last Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, we'll find out, won't we? That, that we will. That's, that's been the case this season. It kind of is what it is, is really the uh, theme that I've kind of put on the Saints mm-hmm. at this point. Um, all right. So we're going to uh, take a quick break. Um, I, I, again, please feel free to call in 1-800-998-1003. Give your thoughts on the Saints game. Give your thoughts on the quarterback situation. Uh, hot takes galore. Uh, this is the Sports Hangover on ESPN New Orleans, the Pelicans flagship 100.3 FM. And we'll be back after this break. I was surprised. I was definitely surprised. Yep, we had no idea. Totally surprised. Um, can you say jaw drop? Who knew? State Farm with these great rates? The surprise everyone's talking about is the surprisingly great rates for home and auto insurance from State Farm, especially when you combine them. When you want the real deal, call State Farm agent Ashley Barrios and cut off today. 985-632-0988. Do you know that Rouse's Markets has their own digital coupons? Digital coupons are coupons that you can access online. Get offers for your favorite national brands at www.rouse's.com and redeem them at any Rouse's Markets. With Rouse's Markets digital coupons, there's no need to keep track of paper coupons anymore. Everything is online. Just present your phone number at checkout. Digital coupon. Just one more way you save shopping at Rouse's Markets. With the Capital One Saver Card, you earn unlimited 4% cash back on dining out or in 4% back on entertainment. 
or on popular streaming. And now, 3% back at grocery stores so you can make the cake that makes her day. Happy birthday to you. So earn unlimited cash back for going out or staying in with the Capital One Saver Card. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Start your day off with a fresh brewed cup of Mellow Joy, the original Cajun coffee company since 1936. It brings members to Louisiana's rich culture. Available in dark, medium roast, decaf, and full line of flavored specialty coffees. Mellow Joy is available in selected grocery stores in your area. To begin receiving Mellow Joy at your office, call 1-86-Mellow Joy. C'est le café du Mellow Joy. C'est des plus joie. Come on, citizen! Pick up the phone. We want you to be on the show. Now back to the Sports Hangover with Gus Kattengap. Welcome back to the Hudak Takeover on the Sports Hangover on the Pelicans flagship ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. It's Maddie Hudak here at Maddie Hudak underscore 94 on Twitter taking over. Uh, well, well, again, Gus calls some hoops over at my alma mater Tulane. Uh, we just heard from NOLA.com writer Amy Just at Amy underscore Just on Twitter. Uh, and she brought up a, a, you know, several great points that kind of echoed a lot of sentiments that I had following that game. Um, I do think there is a, a psychological element to that receiving group that is perhaps underrated, um, in a way that I feel that sports psychology always seems to not really get enough credit. Um, in a way that we saw kind of Russell Wilson last season all of a sudden go from this MVP campaign to suddenly looking like he was seeing ghosts behind his offensive line, uh, you know, waiting too long to get the ball out. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, everyone kind of saying, well, how much is Russell Wilson, you know, the problem at that point? I think his absence this season all but proved that that was not the case at all. To me, that was always very much kind of a mental block when your coach, you know, kind of basically says you're not wanted in this meeting uh, and your opinions on, on this offense uh, are not important at this point is what the takeaway for me with that whole situation was uh, it didn't seem coincidental to me that all of a sudden Russell Wilson kind of turned into a shell of himself on uh, the offensive line that he had kind of criticized was holding up and he still really wasn't getting anything off because of it. It's very similar to what I saw uh, from Taysom Hill when he started last season uh, and, and all through those, those preseason games um, where it just looks like he saw ghosts on the field. If you were at that Jaguars preseason game, it was really just palpable how you could really just see Taysom's body language just deflate entirely. Um, and I always thought that he was his own biggest enemy in those four starts last year. Uh, people, you know, kind of criticize his inability to be aware of the pocket and take off. Uh, and that was the same thing in the preseason. I don't know how much to a detriment he was trying to kind of prove that he was able to be a pocket passer without relying on his legs. But to me, I always have viewed that as if you tie one hand behind your back, you might as well have both of your hands, you know, behind you there as well. Because for someone to have that as a natural inclination and have to stop and think about it. And it's the same thing that I was saying earlier with that initial hesitation uh, by the Falcons defense when they were reacting to Taysom Hill on the field. Uh, just that mental blip uh, of a momentary lapse is all that you need for receivers to get separation, uh, for plays to happen, and, and for plays to break down, quite frankly. Uh, in that same way, if you're someone that's a runner and you've really limited yourself entirely, which to me wasn't a good strategy, but you know that's kind of what we saw, uh, having that kind of men natural inclination and then holding it back, to me, it makes everything that much more difficult because you have to pause, remind yourself to try to go through your reads, and then you're not really paying attention to the pocket at all. Um, I, I saw a completely different 
Taysom under center in those two limited snaps. And I understand they are two very limited snaps. And that the turnover that followed that wasn't remotely Trevor Simeon's fault, as I broke down with Amy just right now. Uh, Tara and Armstead, you know, admitted just as much that he really blew that assignment. And if you go back and watch it, it was one of the quicker blindside strip sacks I've seen in a long time that absolutely no one would have been able to really account for. Uh, but Taysom, when he was in there, he looked kind of like he did in that Minnesota Vikings game where all of a sudden he looked confident again and was decisive and, and quick in his reads and... Uh, again, just the defense kind of reacting to him was hard for me to ignore, but it really did look like he was in his element again, and he was going to take off on that third play, if not for James Hurst's second false start penalty of the day. Again, as I was just talking about with Amy Just, the amount of very uncharacteristic offensive line penalties and the times in which they happened, some of them were back-to-back. There would be a false start followed by a holding call, then a delay of game soon thereafter. And suddenly you've put your third string quarterback and this receiving group that we've all just you know, all but universally decided is non-competitive. Um, it, it's really impossible at that point to really expect them to be able to convert in those situations when they're having difficulty, you know, on, on, on short down situations. Uh, so those penalties really were just stifling to me, but we are at, you know, a midpoint in the season, and there is that very good point about Deontay Harris potentially not being a part of this offense for a couple games, uh, you know, in the future. Uh, it really did surprise me that there really wasn't any disciplinary action handed down, uh, only because there is such precedent in the NFL when it comes to DUIs, and, and it's, they're just not anything to joke about. Um, I, I mean, not to even remotely compare this, but, I don't know how else to say this, but, you know, Henry Ruggs quite literally killed someone uh, drinking and driving and, and, and recklessly at that, at the speeds that he was going. So I, it's not even something that I frankly could be mad about if a suspension ends up being handed down, but they frankly do come in the form of two game suspensions. Um, and I believe Amy's article laid out how the new collective bargaining agreement for the NFL from 2020 could potentially, you know, increase that punishment to three games. And, that discipline doesn't really go into effect until legal cases are complete, and Harris's case is considered closed as of Monday right now. Um, I, I mean, if you're a Saints fan, uh, to, to say that, you know, this is just going to be not addressed whatsoever, uh, kind of hard to bet on that at all. So you're potentially then looking at a two- to three-game stretch without Deontay Harris, who is unquestionably, to me, the wide receiver one on this team. I mean... Uh, it's pretty incredible considering the circumstances. He wasn't, you know, the the leading receiver, but he had the most receptions out of anyone. Uh, Alvin Kamara was the leading receiver with 54 yards on four receptions. Uh, but Deontay Harris had six for 52 and at very important times at that. And so to potentially be looking at a game without those six uh, of those 27 receptions, and it's the same kind of thing with the element of Michael Thomas where when the best player falls down, Everyone else kind of realizes that they don't have that stopgap, and suddenly everyone else becomes infinitely more important to this offense. Traquan Smith is wide receiver one. Uh, I don't really know who wide receiver two at this point is. Is it Kenny Stills? Is it Marquez Callaway? Is it Kevin White? It, that that's really what we're working with. If, like Amy said, Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know doesn't clear waivers, uh, and and even at that point, that's still what you're looking at here. Uh, Adam Trotman is the definition of Jekyll and Hyde to me. Uh, he's he, it's almost impressive that he, you know, makes such impressive catches at times when he makes such mind-boggling drops at others. Uh, but 
losing Deontay Harris, you're also losing that special teams aspect. Uh, so that's also something to consider as well. But I just, I don't know. I know that there is this hate of Taysom Hill, and I get it. I do, I truly do, and I know that no one really takes me seriously when I talk about him because I'm known kind of as the Taysom Hill fangirl, and I, you know, backed him all through training camp. But I was with everyone the second he lost that training camp battle, which was in that Jaguars preseason game, and I really haven't argued for him since. I've simply been evaluating Jameis Winston as a quarterback at this point, and a lot of times that's taken as, you know, an indictment of Winston or having, you know, a crush or being a fangirl of Taysom Hill. And it's not that at all. It's just, you know, I'm, I frankly never really had the opportunity to evaluate a new quarterback before, uh, for the Saints, being that I was, you know, about 11 years old when Drew Brees joined the team. So, you know, my, my personal evaluations, I admit, are subjective. Uh, but it, it's kind of surprising to me that this, you know, tertiary competition now has kind of taken on that same, uh, you know, idea of Taysom Hill is never going to be, you know, QB1. He's not material of QB1. And I'm not saying that either. And we're not really talking about that at this point. We're talking about one of two backups, you know, playing out the remainder of this season. And again, not to take anything away from Trevor Simeon, I'll be the first to say he's surprised the pants off of me uh, after kind of, you know, Ian Book being a little more flashy and, and drawing more attention in training camp. Uh, Simeon showed, you know, why there is such value in having, you know, those those veteran backups that truly can just come in and basically operate the game plan at, at a moment's notice. And that's exactly what he did. And I think that his, you know, ability to to work in the play action and, and his, his patience in the pocket, he is a little, you know, more, he, he I guess, a little more mobile in the pocket than I anticipated. Uh, and he's able to throw in stride. This is, again, nothing to take away from him at all. But again, I want to just go back to the amount of third and fourth downs that Jameis Winston had to, frankly, use just by his legs alone. Um, And if not for those, a lot of the time and a lot of those games where Alvin Kamara was the one and only receiver and running back one, um, that's not something that Simeon has been able to show at this point. Um, and, and, you know, everyone was really excited about the Mark Ingram signing, but it, it, it's not something that's really shown uh, that much in these last two weeks. But it's something that I think has somewhat of a potential to at least consider the other side of the coin in when you have a running or I'm sorry, when you have, you know, I almost said running back because that's pretty much what it is. But if you want to call Taysom Hill another running back, you can call him that. Absolutely. But he's a running back that completed two passes over 10 yards to wide receiver one and wide receiver two cold off the bench and, you know, was about to take off for a gain and, and drew the uh, defense off just by getting out there on the field. You know, we joke that everyone knows what's going to happen when Winston's under center, or I'm sorry, when Hill is under center, but yet still the Falcons still jumped on fourth and one. And, and so looking at kind of the chips that this team has, looking at Armagh kind of getting involved more in the game plan the last couple of, of weeks and uh, seeing a lot of that in training camp and then not really seeing that through the first couple weeks of this season. Um Seeing how, you know, Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, uh, and, and Taysom, who, quite frankly, two of them can throw the football, all three of them can receive it, and all three of them can run the football. So in terms of confusion, you know, that, that, that there's a lot to just unpack there, Taysom's abilities aside. So again, I implore you all to, to call in and, and tell me I'm wrong, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I just haven't seen anyone be willing to entertain the other side of the coin on uh, if nothing else... I'm happy to serve as the devil's advocate. Um, and we're going to take a break now. Uh, 
And and like I said, if you have any comments on on anything Saints or anything that matter on my takes, 1-800-998-1003. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to hear from uh, UL head coach Billy Napier uh, on the Rage and Cajuns. Uh, but for now, uh, you're listening to the ESPN flag. I'm sorry, you're listening to the flagship for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans ESPN 100.3 FM. August 29th, 2021, Hurricane Ida wreaked havoc on our community, leaving thousands of people feeling helpless, vulnerable, and desperate. We refuse to let insurance companies do the same. At AMO Trial Lawyers, we have assembled a team of not only attorneys, but also contractors, adjusters, engineers, and estimators with the focus of maximizing your claim value and assisting in your recovery. If you think your insurance company isn't treating you fairly, get a name that insurance companies know by calling 985-446-3333. I'm Matt Ori, And I'm David Ardwin. And we are the AMO Advantage. As a leader in the oil and gas industry, Joe's Septic Contractors caters to oil field clients offering vacuum truck service for offshore tanks, vessels, or treatment plants containing sewage or gray water. Their rental department offers state-of-the-art offshore portable toilets, also holding tank rentals and portable hand-washing stations. Call Joe's Septic Contractors 24-7-985-632-5592. In Cutoff, Thibodeau, Fushaw, Abbeville, and Reserve, or visit their website at joeseptic at viscom.net welcome back we've missed you we know it's been tough because rebuilding your business isn't for the faint of heart your business needs a jump start and we're here to help introducing surge symmetrical speed fiber internet from Etel business revved up data speeds at 30 percent off plus three months free we're glad you're back and we're here to make your business surge Etel business Offer valid on three-year contract for two or more business services. Rotolo's Pizzeria is the proud sponsor of the Nickel State Coaches Show. Rotolo's Pizzeria uses only the freshest ingredients to make their pizzas, calzones, salads, wings, and more. They make their original dough fresh every day, along with their homemade sauces and fresh veggies. Rotolo's, home of the $7.99 calzone, every Wednesday, and happy hour Monday through Thursday, 11 to 6. All of us at Rotolo's want to thank you for the opportunity to serve you at our home and Thibodeau locations. Go Colonels! They say that once you give him control, he'll own your brain forever. Now back to The Sports Hangover with Gus Kattengau. Welcome back to the Hudak Takeover on the Sports Hangover ESPN New Orleans 100.3, the flagship station for the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, as said before, Gus is over at Tulane calling the women's basketball game, but he chatted a bit this week with Rage and Cajuns coach Billy Napier on UL's H1 season, and we'll hear from them now. All right, welcome back here. Joined as always on Tuesdays. Well, when there's a normal week, head coach <laughs> Billy Napier, the Raging Cajuns coach. It, it's strange to think that actually that is a good thing or or not. I don't know. You guys have been able to handle everything, huh? Yeah, Gus. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate you covering our team. And um, yeah, we're right in the middle of it here. And I'm certainly looking forward to the next opportunity. Well, I guess we start off with congratulations, Coach. Not only did you pick up a win on national television, 21-17 over Georgia State, but the win was a, a clincher in the fourth straight uh, year. You guys have won the Western Division title, which means you're going to be in a conference championship game, but it's also your eighth straight win. 
and I saw the number what was it 1976, Coach. I, I'm terrible at math, but I'm 45 and I was born in 1976, so I know that's how long <laughs> that has been. Congratulations. Yeah, no, I, I think um, it's one of the the first significant things that we can accomplish as a team, you know, is to win the West, secure an opportunity in the championship game. Um, and it was a test. You know, I thought Georgia State, you know, Coach, uh, Coach Elliott is a guy that I have tremendous respect for, had his team ready to play. Uh, and it was a challenge. But uh, certainly to clinch the West this early, be able to turn our attention to securing home field advantage for the championship game, uh, I think is a big deal. And certainly that's a part of the next couple of weeks. Coach, uh, I know one of the things that you've been heavy into and one of the things that you build when you're trying to build programs to certain levels, one of the things you guys go with and it's a branding, it's culture. And, and part of that culture is to provide a winning culture. The fact that you've done this four straight years, the fact that winning has been sort of a routine thing, it's not the easiest thing to do for a coach when you come in to start a program, huh? Well, I think uh, certainly the success on the field is great. Um you know, I would like to think that the culture part uh, is about more than that. You know, I think we certainly um, we seek to try to have a program that makes an impact on the people, you know, not only the players, but the staff. Uh, and certainly in this game and this profession, this platform, um, you know, I think it, we've got an incredible opportunity to work with young people every day. Uh, and teach uh, values, right? Teach things that are going to prepare them for later in life. Uh, and I do think that this game and the competition and the strategy and the things that come with it um, can help teach you a lot about life. Um, so we've hired really good people here. Um, you know, we work hard at it. We try to do it the right way and certainly uh, proud uh, to be a part of that. Speaking with head coach Billy Napier, the Rage and Cajuns, they're 8-1 and one on the season. Heading to the conference title game in a couple of weeks. Got some business to do. Coach, you mentioned the win that happened this past Thursday, and it's something that I know that we've chatted when you have come on and, and chatted with us on Tuesdays. The experience of this season alone being in tight games, you know, game-winning drives where you don't give the ball up, coming in and winning and scoring late. I almost felt like watching that game on television on Thursday. You guys were calm, cool, and collected, Coach, because you guys have been there before. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just a very competitive league. Certainly the Sunbelt Conference continues to improve, right, the quality, the personnel, the, the uh level of coaching mm-hmm. uh, and we're getting everybody's best shot here the last couple of years so um, I do think it's a compliment to our staff uh, their ability to you know have a well thought out plan make the necessary adjustments within games certainly the players keeping their poise uh, sticking together uh, just a lot of fun um, and certainly you know, I think we said uh, the best view comes after the hardest climb. That was one of the quotes that we used this past weekend, uh, getting ready for that game. So, you know, when it's hard, it's uh, it's gratifying. And um, certainly we've had our fair share of one-score games around here. Some of those tight wins against Nichols, a three-point win. You won at Georgia Southern by seven, but two-point win at South Alabama, a one-point win against Arkansas State, and, of course, this one, 21-17 over at Cajun Field on Thursday. Coach, when I think of those games there as well, though, not only did you get 
key offensive contributions, a key offensive drive. But, Coach, I, I want to say the defense was the last uh, side of the football field that was the Cajuns that were on the field. In other words, the defense was the one that won the game there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we play uh, complimentary football here. And there's no question playing championship-level defense is a big part of our blueprint. Uh, we've got uh, great leadership with Patrick Tony. And it's area of our organization where we've really made a lot of progress uh, since we've been here. You know, the first year, I think we were 125th in the country in defense. And then, you know, slowly but surely, we've been playing top 25 defense every year. Certainly, as of late, uh, our defensive um, unit has done a nice job. I mean, heck, they kept us in the game the other night until we could figure it out on offense. So, um, you know, I think I would like to think that we have the ability to beat teams lots of different ways, if that makes sense. You know, I think that uh, special teams is an area where we put a lot of time and effort into it as well. So, you know, I really believe in that part, um, you, you know, in terms of how we the concepts we run, how we practice, uh, how we teach. Uh, we certainly have a great working uh, relationship inside the building. You know, we mentioned, I want to say the last time, head coach Billy Napier joining us here, that, that I had you on. We talked about Montreal Johnson's and local here in New Orleans and a couple of the guys we have on the air worked with him in high school football here. It just seems like every big win, man, he's he's doing his 111th, right, coach? But part of his 111th this past weekend, 98 yards, 17 attempts, a couple of scores. He runs hard, man. When you watch him on, on you know, in the games, he just he, he finds a spot and then he's off and running. Yeah, Montreal is an exceptional uh, freshman. Certainly, um, you know, when we recruited and signed him, we felt like we were going to need some uh, help at running back. You know, and he certainly stepped into that uh, void there when uh, Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis, right. um, you know, went to the National Football League. But to play as a true freshman the way he has uh, certainly, you know, shows his maturity uh, he's intelligent. He's a great teammate. And uh, I've been impressed with his practice habits. Um, and he's a unique player, right? He's 220 pounds. He's got really loose hips, contact balance. Uh, he catches the ball well. And he showed some finishing speed. So um, he's he's not done a nice job. Uh, certainly his production has uh, been a difference maker for our team. All right, Coach, you, you actually have a game on Saturday, <laughs> not a midweek yeah. game here, as you take on Troy. When you take a look at Troy, again, it's on the road. The next two will be on the road. You will close out at Cajun Field uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving. But what do you see when you when you look at the Trojans there? Are they a 500 football team? It's kind of close to what their record is. Well, they're close to being a lot better than that, okay. is what I would say. You know, if you look closely, uh, and they played some really good football teams uh, to some tight scores, you know, Liberty, South Carolina, uh, Coastal in particular uh, played those teams really well, although they, although they lost the game. You know, they're playing uh, really good defense. You know, they're one of the top defenses in our league, one of the top 20, 25 defenses in the country. Um, you know, as you would expect in Troy, Alabama, they've got heck of a roster, man. They've got uh, big, fast, long, explosive players. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think Chip always does a nice job of being creative on offense and, you know, finding ways to move the ball and score points. Um, you pair that with this defense, uh, and it, it's going to be a tough matchup. So 
it's always tough to play at this place too. You know, a lot of tradition here. Right. Um, you know, they've won a lot of football games over there. They care about it. So, two thirty Saturday. You know, it's going to require us to uh, continue to prepare, uh, focus on what we can do today to affect Saturday, and uh, certainly we're in the middle of that as we speak here. That Eastern uh, Division's no joke, is it? In the Sun Belt Conference. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think it's uh, very. Uh, very apparent that you know it's a competitive league man and we play all of us play each other outside of one team each year um so you know we get a taste of the east um you know just as much as the west coach finally i guess to wrap up the folks that get to watch it what, what's something to pay attention to what's a key uh, obviously what we got the the normal things the turnovers and things nature but is there a matchup or is there a stat that you think will be telling in, in a cajun victory well, I think that, you know, they, you mentioned turnovers. They've created 20 turnovers this year. That's a little over two, two per game. They're plus eight, uh, in the turnover margin. I think that's a big part of the game, right? I think we need to try to uh, take care of the ball, get some takeaways. Um, that's been kind of our uh, secret sauce this year. You know, when we've lost the turnover margin, the games are closer. Uh, when we've been able to win, uh, we've been able to get control of the game. So I do think as obvious as that is, uh, I think it's a big part of the ingredients to success Saturday. Coach, as always, appreciate the time. Good luck, and we'll talk again next week. All right, Gus. Thank you, man. Appreciate you covering the Cajuns. For sure, as always. It's uh, enjoyable. Eight and one, the Raging Cajuns this year. As head coach Billy Napier can go check out, of course, their athletic website, RagingCajuns.com. And if you want to go over on Twitter, real easy, at RagingCajunFB. Maddie, back to you. Thanks, Gus. Uh, again, that was Billy Napier on, on the Raging Cajuns, and we'll be back uh for the 1 p.m. hour of the sports hangover uh, with the Hudak takeover with myself, Maddie Hudak, at Maddie Hudak underscore 94 on the Pelicans flagship station, ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. Be sure to call in at 1 800 998 1003. On your quality of life, don't suffer in silence. Get relief at the Pain Center of Thibodeau Regional. Dr. Luis Hernandez and Dr. Keith Duplantis can provide solutions to neck, knee,